Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. <clears throat> well, here we are, <clears throat> just uh, 24 hours later. Made it through your first day. Might have been a different one than uh, you thought with the community meeting in the afternoon and some connecting. I hope that was uh, a rich experience for you. It, it's so, it makes such a difference to feel that you're not alone doing it in this, doing this uh, uh, experience and that you have people supporting you and among good friends. And just as you're settling in this first day or so of the retreat, um, I wanted to talk about um, the, the process of practice uh, using one of the classical lists uh, from the Buddhist teaching. And that is um, the list called the Five Spiritual Faculties. I really like this list. Uh, one, in, in that it, it shows the, uh, the way that the practice unfolds, at least one way to think of how the practice unfolds. Um, Two, that it's a, a, a list that points to the fact that this whole process is one about finding balance. And um, also that it covers some um, very important uh, practice themes that are good to keep in mind as we, uh, we begin the, the retreat. <clears throat> so the five Faculties, spiritual faculties, are faith, energy, or sometimes thought of as effort, <clears throat> mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. One way you can think of this list, as I said, is it's a, a balancing uh, list. Mindfulness is, as usual, the, the central quality that balances uh, the others. <clears throat> Faith and wisdom are two on opposite sides that support each other and are in balance. If there's too much faith and not enough wisdom, then it can easily turn into blind faith. If there's too much wisdom in the sense of analyzing and uh, trying to, uh, to unpack how it all works, without enough faith or heart quality, 
then it can get very cerebral and even lead to um, skeptical and uh, doubting mind. So the the heart and the mind, so to so to speak, uh, balance each other out. And then um, energy and concentration also need to be in balance for this practice to uh, richly unfold. If there's too much energy and not enough concentration in the sense of a stillness, a collectedness of mind, then we get very restless. And if there's a fair degree of concentration and a stilling of the, of the mind and the heart, but not enough energy, it's very easy to get into sloth and torpor and drifting off. <clears throat> Maybe you've seen that in the first day it takes a while for those energies to balance. Um, curious, how many people uh, were sleepy today? Mm, look around, you got a few friends. Mm-hmm. How about restless? Anyone restless feel like they just needed to move? Yeah. All right. uh, other things in the first day or two of retreat? Um, aches in the body? Anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about wandering mind? Busy mind? That was pretty much a loaded question. Yeah. So you're doing great. You're right on schedule. Because that's what the beginning of a retreat is, just settling in and coming in for a landing. And those energies um, need to be developed in order for them to, um, to then support this whole unfolding. So that's one way to think of this list. Oh, it's all about finding balance. Oh, too much energy? Oh, calming down a bit. Too much calm or sleepiness? Oh, let's get some wakefulness. And the same with the other two. Mm. Uh, But I want to present it or explore it with you in a more linear fashion, although it's not as neatly linear as, oh, you do this, and then you're ready for the next step, and then this, and then you're ready for the next one. But there is a a general flow of development uh, that, I th- that I find very helpful in, um, in seeing how this whole thing works. And I'll talk about each. <clears throat> so the first is the quality of faith. The word sadha, S-A-D-D-H-A. And probably many of you are quite familiar both with sadha or and this list. Uh, so if that's the case, you know, take it as a beginner's mind. Uh, but it bears um, putting some focus on the fact that this is not just a, an analytical practice. You have to have some heart fullness to to put your heart into practice actually that's that's the translation of the word sadha to put one's heart upon something to put your heart into something 
and it's a beautiful um, image and phrase, you know, oh, she put her whole heart into it. When you know when you're wholehearted about something, you're really there and it's, there's a, a, a richness, a commitment, a, a throwing yourself into it. And the word faith is often how this term sata is translated. Other um, uh, definitions, um, trust, confidence, conviction. So if faith triggers some old connections with Sunday school or religion or some, sometimes that word is very, very inspiring to people and other people it's like, whoa, okay, that's why I like Buddhism. Uh, I don't have to believe anything. Uh, and it's true that the Buddha said you don't have to believe anything. In fact, he recommended don't believe anyone any authority, not even him, but look to yourself and see, oh, what leads to suffering? What leads to happiness? But you need to have some kind of a, mm, something inspires you to do this. Why else would you sign up and spend a month just sitting around being with yourself and your mind? Something has clicked for you and said, this is a good thing to do. Do you remember? Do you remember why you signed up for this? <laughs> I hope you do. <laughs> In fact, you might just remember, take a moment when you decided, I think I'm gonna do this. And uh, somehow you just, uh, said, yeah, I'm going for it. I invite you to just go back inside. See if you remember that moment. Yep, I'm gonna do that month long in February. And even if your, your mind said, are you sure you wanna do that? You know, there was something in your heart that said, yeah, this just feels right. That's it. You might not even be able to explain it. And yet there's something, like I said last night, that's called you that you can't ignore. Whether it's trust or deep curiosity or you've been touched by something in past retreats and past practice that says, I, keep, I wanna keep on going. I wanna go deeper, I wanna see what there is to see. Okay. And just getting in touch with that is, you can feel the power of that, uh, if you remember what it was. This is different than explaining to your friends or parents or whoever, uh, oh yes, this is a good thing to do. And they'll say, what? But you know that no matter what anybody says, here you are. So how did that happen? Well, it starts, at least in the classical uh, development of faith, 
that we're inspired by, by something, bright faith, it's sometimes called, where you hear a, a talk or um, um, listen to a, 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 um, a, a teacher or a friend or you read something in a book or something in you that kind of lights you up and says, oh my goodness, uh, I've shared this with many people before if you've sat with me. For me, when I walked into a classroom uh, in 1974 at Naropa Institute, the first summer, and there was Joseph Goldstein talking about training the mind and the heart. And I had a lot of dukkha inside, but something in what he said made me believe that there was a way out of this neurotic mind. I'd never entertained that possibility before, but I can recall, it was just even in the first talk, first few minutes of the talk I was saying, well, so what is this gonna be like? He doesn't seem very spiritual or holy, didn't have long flowing hair, or he, didn't, he sounded like he was from New York and I was from New York, so I, honestly, I was judging his package, saying, so this is the great meditation teacher. And then something in the middle of that talk, just the way he was and the confidence that he, that he spoke from, I said, oh my goodness, he's saying it's possible to train the mind and the heart, and I believed him. And there was a part of me that said, wow, I've been looking for something like this for a, a long time, my whole life. I'm going for it. News. That was my bright faith. And then I'm sure we all have our own stories about what, what first ignited that in your heart and in your mind. It's beautiful. I remember also reading the, the Buddha's uh, words, uh, very simple line, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. I thought, okay, well this guy has been, sounds like he knows what he's been talking about, most everything else. He's saying it is possible. And I said, okay, deepen my bright faith. But then, that can only take you so far because you know the inspiration then, you have to then see for yourself, come and see for yourself, ehe pasiko, come and see for yourself. And then you go into practice. That bright faith gets you to want to practice and then you find for yourself. And then you have what's called verified faith where you see for yourself, this stuff really works. And everybody here, you've all done retreats before, so you know, it's one of the beautiful things about this retreat, you don't have to persuade anybody. You know there's something to this. And no one can take that away from you. No matter where you, how far you, uh, you stray, you've touched something that you can't ignore and can't forget. 
and it deepens. And I have shared the story on my second retreat when I was, uh, was in complete doubt. Everything around was, was, was crazy and everyone seemed like they were in a cult and I was a phony and everything, you know, I just didn't, I didn't believe anything. I had this tremendous wave of doubt and all of a sudden um, I just wanted to give up and I went to my little cubicle in the, um, uh, where I was staying in the retreat center up in uh, um, Oregon and, um, no, Washington. And uh, there was a picture of Neem Karoli Baba who inspires, always inspired me from be here now, looking up at me and saying, hmm, you're getting pretty freaked out, aren't you? You know, with a big twinkle in his eye and with a smile. And in a moment the spell broke and I just thought, oh, I just got caught in a wave of doubt. And as soon as I saw that, it was like, I was so, it was like the spell was broken. Oh, I was just lost for a while. And I got so excited, I couldn't wait to tell Joseph, my teacher, that I'd conquered doubt. Except the interview was the next day. And I went through every different mind state I could go from that initial euphoria to then going into the interview room and Joseph says, uh, so what's going on? What's happening? And I say in complete innocence and exasperation, it's always changing. And he said, that's it. I said, oh, you do keep on saying that, don't you? That's what you're talking about. It's always changing. That was a moment of deep, personal, verified faith. Oh, I'm starting to get it. And again, you might just reflect back on your own verified faith, what you've known to be true from your own experience, not from what you've read in a book. Oh, yeah. And no one can take that away. And when we have that kind of faith, it gives us courage, it gives us energy to keep on looking. But it's true that we can forget. And we, when we've seen, so-called, seen the light, and then we forget, it can get very painful and tremendous doubt can follow an opening to a deep insight and the old judging thoughts get activated and what was I thinking, what did, who did I think I, 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 I was and even though you know your mind, for instance, has just gotten caught, your body still has its patterns and there you are caught in in those old habit patterns, systemic, visceral patterns, and you know you're stuck, but you still can't get out. And then the faith can, can seem to be gone. And this is an important part of our practice. There will be times probably in these days where you might think that your 
back to square one. I know I had many times where I thought, what, what did I think I know? Who am I to say anything to anybody about how they should live their life? It's like, you know, beginner's mind. Okay, I read the book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. They say it's good to have a beginner's mind, but this is really beginner's mind. You know? And it's important to know that old patterns take a while to move through and it takes tremendous patience and compassion and kindness and realizing this is going to take time. I hope you keep on remembering that. Mm. And I want to share with you actually, as I think about it, a, um, a reflection that somebody wrote to me uh, on doing um, this month long, uh, actually, it was sitting for two months, um, where in the middle of their understanding, they realized that they could get lost again and again. And so this person wrote what she called and later sent to me, uh, letter to my future self. And this is what she said. This is a really good teaching. Dear future me, caught in resistance, boredom, doubt, or self-doubt, etc. I know it may not seem this way right now, but it's worth it. Really, really worth it. And it's working. And you're not doing it all wrong. In fact, you can't really not do it right. Your intention is powerful. Even if you may not recognize it at the moment, sometimes it goes a bit undercover. But believe me, it's there. And that's all that matters. You're doing great. And you're wonderful. And I love you. And I'm so grateful you're doing this. And I'm right there beside you with a lot of faith and compassion. Lean on it whenever you need it. All will be well. There's only one direction this can go. You might write your own letter to your future self in those moments of clarity where you see it's all just mental fabrication. I don't have to believe my thoughts. Remember the next time that you get lost in your thoughts. There's something in you that knows. And that faith keeps you going. Or you can say faith or trust in the process. Mm. Just to put your heart into it. Not faith that everything's going to work out, but that your awareness can meet the moment when it arrives. So faith then leads to effort, the effort, the energy 
to practice. And this is another very important dimension of practice. How much effort am I supposed to put in? Am I doing it right? Oh, I must not be, because this is what's happening now. Oh, I'm so scattered, or I'm so sleepy, or oh, there's so much emotion, or there's not, there's not so much emotion, I'm just flat. We can have all kinds of ideas about what good practice can look like, but they're just ideas. And generally, we measure ourselves against some kind of imagined ideal of what a good meditator is supposed to be experiencing. And that is a great misunderstanding. Because everything is always changing, so no matter how clear a mind state you have, it's gonna change. And no matter how confused you are, it's gonna change. Rather than trying to be a hindrance-free yogi, just showing up for your experience. That's the idea, as I'm sure you've heard before. It's not what's happening, it's your relationship. What's your relationship to what's happening? And if you're willing to meet the moment, whatever it is, as skillfully as you can, or learning tools to meet it as skillfully as you can, then you're practicing being here for anything. It's like the image of the Buddha, you know, I, the, the, the Buddha, the mudra where the Buddha is there, like up there, touching his hand to the earth. As the earth is my witness, I have a right to be here. And there he is, whether Mara is, is throwing, uh, shooting arrows at him or seducing him with beautiful images or throwing doubt at him. There he is here for it all. And that's what you're doing. You're just learning to be here for it all. Whether it's beautiful, ecstatic, or hell realm, or confusion, ah, I can be with this too. That's the, the effort that it takes, not to make anything special happen, but just the effort and the willingness to be here, and that in itself is what the practice is. Not running away. Here's a a poem that maybe some of you are familiar with that I love by Jennifer Wellwood called Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome 
transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. So the willingness to be here for it all, but this also means to understand how I can be with the moment. It doesn't mean to be with everything no matter how intense it is. Wise effort means knowing when to go deeply into something or knowing when to give yourself some space and relax and chill out or regroup. Mm. This practice is not about always going to what is happening in your experience, particularly when you find that you're struggling. One of my main axioms is struggling is extra. And if you're out of balance, if there's not enough centeredness and ease so that you can bring curiosity to meet the moment, you will start to get perhaps overwhelmed by experience. And it's important to know what your capacities are. The Buddha in one of his discourses has a a strategy He has a number of strategies for dealing with difficulties. And one of them uh, is, uh, is known as forgetfulness and inattention. Where if you're paying attention to uh, uh, an experience and it's too overwhelming, more skillful to just leave it and go to something else opening your eyes, looking around, listening to sounds, feeling your hands or your feet on the ground. You don't always have to stay with what's here. But if you find that you're running away and you just, well, I think in another week I, I might, uh, might check that out. Well, you're, you're gonna be doing yourself a disservice as well. So it's kind of finding what your capacities are and, um, and really listening to the question, what do I need right now? What do I need to show up? What do I need to come into balance enough to be here for my experience? And instead of effort coming from some kind of imagined samurai warrior Um, ideal, effort, I find, most helpful connecting it with our sincerity, the sincerity that we bring to the practice, which might look very different at different times. Maybe the most skillful thing you can do is to go have a cup of tea. Or maybe it's to um, 
go for a walk. Or maybe it's to stay there and hang in there and just see because you have the courage and you have the curiosity and you have the inspiration. There's no one right way, no right or wrong, but just seeing, okay, how can I really show up in a heartful way, that faith that we were talking about? Sincerity is really the key, I find, to effort. This is from Nisargadat Maharaj from I Am That. He says, your sincerity will guide you. Devotion to the goal of freedom will make you abandon all theories and systems and live by wisdom, intelligence, and active love. Theories may be good as starting points, but must be abandoned. The sooner the better. Whatever name you give it, will or steady purpose or one-pointedness of mind, you come back to earnestness, sincerity, and you bend every incident every second of your life towards your purpose. Total dedication, honesty, or you could call it love. Mm. And this is a, a, a yogi on one retreat who saw this shift about effort. He wrote a note. He said, it's indeed a huge relief to realize that I cannot I am not in charge of my thoughts. They come up completely unbidden. It's also a relief to know I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness, that these are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will, I could manufacture awareness, and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness, weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc. So this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, has made me incredibly happy. A number of years ago, I, I was at a conference with uh, Dharma teachers in, uh, in uh, Dharamsala with the Dalai Lama. And it was a really um, great honor to be there. And I was like, you know, wow, this is amazing. And being around the Dalai Lama for some days and, and hearing these personal teachings and interactions with us. And somebody asked him, uh, Your Holiness, what do you do with uh, when you're faced with a lot of suffering. And he said, uh, my sincere motivation is my protection. And the next day somebody else asked him, how do you handle all the fear? He said, sometimes even he can get afraid and hearing stories from one person after another and, and they're unnerving. And he said, without batting, uh, missing a beat, my sincere motivation is my greatest protection. Same answer, really stuck. Your sincere motivation is your protection. Just reconnecting again and again with what's inspired you to practice those moments of verified faith. And 
The other thing to keep in mind around effort is it's all about balance. Are you getting tight? You can't see things clearly when there's a tightness in the mind and the heart. Ah, how can I get some space? How can I ease up? What do I need right now to just come back to myself? Are you getting too loose and spaced out or relaxed? Well, I'm here for a month, you know, I'll give it another week or so before I really get into it. This is precious time. You've, did, you've done everything you could to make your life work so you could be here. And so there's this, this fine dance between making every moment count and yet not getting tight about it. Making every moment count, meaning how can I meet this moment in a way that honors it, this moment of my life, that this moment has never been here before, it's here to help me wake up, how can I meet it in a balanced way that is both relaxed and really interested, wholehearted? There's the balance of effort. And so you might just even check how your body feels, how your mind feels, if it's contracted and agitated, ah, time to get some space and relax. If it's, if it's starting to get too laid back, well, if I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. Uh, time to rev up the commitment again. So, <clears throat> one of the ways that you can check in with whatever you're doing, whether it's going for a cup of tea or a walk or going, uh, going in there and feeling a pain in your knee or whatever, just ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And is this going to really support a balanced awareness? Keep asking that question, I find is, is probably one of the most helpful ones. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Oh, I'm needing to take a walk because this will help me get balance so I can be really present. Mm, oh, I need to just stretch myself a bit because this will give me some courage and some inspiration. Mm. So it's a balance of effort. And the effort is the effort to be mindful. The third in this sequence. You've probably heard a thing or two about mindfulness if you're on this retreat. I want to say a few words that I find important to keep in mind. First, the Buddha saying from the Satipatthana Sutta, there is one direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief, despair, pain, and anxiety, and realize the highest happiness. And that is the establishment of mindfulness.
That's a pretty strong statement. Direct way to do all of those things. Because mindfulness weakens all the states of suffering, akusala, greed, hatred, delusion, all of the negative mind and heart states, and strengthens all the states of well-being and happiness. And when we are in a moment of mindfulness, we're free. We wake up. Mindfulness is noticing what's happening without grasping at the pleasant, pushing away the unpleasant, or identifying, taking ownership of our experience. In that moment, we're free. Every single moment of mindfulness, we are weakening habits of greed, hatred, and delusion. That's, for me, uh, in my early years of practice, it became a kind of um, touchstone for me. Every moment of mindfulness counts. I remember Joseph uh, used to have this um, acronym of um, uh, accumulating as many NPMs as you can have. NPMs, noticings per minute. It was just a little game, and I find it very helpful to play little games. For me, it was, oh, every moment that I'm mindful, I'm weakening greed, hatred, and delusion, and cultivating non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Okay, I'm going to see how many I can get today. No failing in this test, by the way. Uh, It's just a game. But when you see, oh, every single moment of mindfulness counts then you're, it's exciting to be here. Now, at the beginning, I grant you, it takes a while to land. And maybe today, being mindful is just a good idea. But as probably you have seen, moments of mindfulness build on each other. And the more you're mindful, especially these first few days, if you put in the effort to be here or the willingness to come back every time you're not, especially if you can come back in a very loving way, those moments of mindfulness build a momentum and so the mindfulness gets stronger and when it gets stronger, you see more. And when you see more, it's more interesting. And when it's more interesting, You want to pay more attention, and so it kind of builds on itself. However, if the mindfulness is weak, and you don't really build that momentum, then things aren't as interesting. And you are bored and restless, and then you want to find a distraction. And the less mindful the more you look for distraction because things aren't so interesting. And so it can go in either way. But at the beginning, it takes that effort to be present in order to 
build that momentum. I remember in, uh, Joseph used to have this image of cranking an engine, going around and around until all of a sudden it ignites. And it's kind of like that these first few days. You have to really just remember that this stuff works. Um, or know for yourself, oh yes, this is worth it. And after a while, that momentum of mindfulness kicks in. Some things that I find important to keep in mind, there are many different lenses of mindfulness. It's a tool and you need to understand its power and how to use it. But there's no one right way. This is how one is supposed to be mindful. This is what one is supposed to look at or notice. There's many different lenses to take an experience. Sometimes we go in with a zoom lens or a microscopic lens and we look at fine details of experience if we're curious and interested. And that can be very fascinating. It's like putting a, a drop of pond water under a microscope and looking and saying, wow, there's a whole world in there. Or sometimes it's opening to a more panoramic lens and just knowing, oh, okay, I'm alive and here in this moment. Or I have no idea what's going on. Oh, I'm confused. That's what's happening. Confused Buddha. And that moment of mindfulness is just as liberating as the fine detailed one. So it's important to see that any moment of mindfulness is just as good as any other moment. It helps many, for many people at the beginning of a retreat to collect the awareness and sharpen it on a particular focus, primary object, so that then you can apply it to all aspects of experience. So for many, um, these first few days is a, is a time to just collect the attention and get some stability of mind on one object. For others, it might be a whole different way to do it. Oh, I just really need to focus on attitude and not um, trying over efforting and just seeing if I can receive the moment in a gentle way. Many, many different ways. Maybe you've seen the, this beautiful book that, uh, that Jack put together uh, that was called originally Living Buddhist Masters. Uh, it's now called Living Dharma because most of them aren't around anymore. Um, and there's 12 different Thai and Burmese masters all sharing their style of mindfulness. Some of them are saying, this is the real mindfulness. And some of them are saying, this is my way of doing mindfulness. And you read that book and you see, oh, there's so many different ways. And part of the practice is finding our own way, your own way of practicing. <clears throat> and sometimes it might mean that you're in one mode and you're getting a little bit um, 
uh, unbalanced. And so the mindfulness is, again, looking around and just grounding yourself. Oh, I can be mindful of this and coming back to yourself. Besides just being able to be here with anything, the good news about mindfulness, besides learning to be with the dukkha when it comes, is that mindfulness deepens wholesome states. Many know that I teach this course and uh, wrote a book called Awakening Joy. And it's all about, as the Buddha said, noticing the gladness connected with the wholesome. Don't miss it. If you're feeling peaceful, ah, don't miss it. If you're feeling happy, don't miss it. Let it be the object of your awareness. If you're feeling love, compassion, wonderful objects of mindfulness. And as you pay attention to them, they expand, those wholesome states are amplified. Mindfulness is like a, uh, in in neuroscience, uh, Rick Hansen says it's, Mindfulness is like a, a spotlight and a vacuum. What you pay attention to, you are highlighting and it sculpts, it deepens the grooves in your neural pathways. <clears throat> we were just talking, uh, um, uh, Rick and his wife and, uh, and, and Jane and I had dinner a, a week or so ago and he was talking about the the way the science, it scientifically works uh, in this paper that he's coming out with, when you are very present for a positive experience, there's dopamine and norepinephrine that get released and it is, um, it is deepened uh, in the hippocampus, which, so there's a memory there, a deeper memory, and then it gets transferred to the neocortex. That's on a technical level. Mainly just remember, don't miss it, okay? It goes in deep when you pay attention to an experience. And when you've had a very profound moment, let it register. Because just like trauma can be triggered, insight can be triggered too. Just like if you hear a song from junior high and you remember your crush. Oh, yes, Esther Ingber, yes. Uh, I just have to hear one song and there, there she is, you know. And just in the same way, you can have a, a profound experience. I was in uh, 40 years ago stirring a cup of caffix in the IMS cafeteria uh, dining room and I looked at the bubbles and I saw impermanence in a way that I never had before from galaxies to subatomic molecules and that I just have to think of stirring that cup and I'm right there mindfulness can deepen our 
understandings because it anchors it in the body as well. Hmm. Okay, so faith, effort to be mindful, mindfulness leading to concentration. Hmm. And concentration develops over time. And paradoxically, it is aided, dependent on relaxed mind. If you try too hard to be concentrated, you'll just get tight and you'll start to actually get agitated. Maybe for a little while you'll be focused, but it's not so sustainable. Rather, concentration is just that momentum, that persistence. There's an image of, of um, a saw cutting into some wood. And you know, at the beginning it takes a while for the saw to find that groove. But once it finds the groove, there it is and it's even, uh, it naturally goes into that groove. Well, at the beginning, we have to sometimes act as if we're interested, even if we're not. Okay. A breath. Hmm. Didn't we just have one a moment ago? Do I really have to pay attention to another one? But you can actually convince yourself or pretend that it's interesting. Oh, this is what's keeping me alive. Whoa. I, I find at the beginning making things like a game can help a lot. And sometimes I imagine I'm a newborn baby taking my very first breath. Never been here before. Can I be here for this one? Or an alien reporting back to the mothership. This is what breathing is like for these guys. Yeah. And so you want to somehow get here to the moment. And this is where verified faith helps. Knowing that if you put in the, the energy to be mindful, it will build and it becomes a dance of awareness. The key to concentration, besides a relaxed mind, is continuity. That one moment after another after another, those noticings per minute start to rev up and have a continuous experience. <clears throat> a dance of awareness. And there are many different techniques. There's no, not one way. For people who are used to mental noting, that can be a very powerful technique. Just noting everything. That's, that was very helpful in my own practice. But it can't be pouncing on it. I, I have the image of, you know, they have uh, lyrics on a, on a screen and there's a bouncing ball on the, the lyrics. That's in my mind what I, when I would do mental noting, you know. Oh, reaching, pulling, twisting, brushing, just having it like a dance. For others, it might be, oh, just stay connected to my ease 
and to my presence and to my attitude and noticing how I'm relating to the moment. Whatever, as you develop concentration, things start to become a lot more interesting. And probably many of you have heard of the, the image of, of putting a kettle on a stove and you want to leave it on the stove. If you take it off every 30 seconds or so, it's not going to boil. But if you leave it on, even if sometimes it's a low flame and sometimes it's a higher one, then it starts to develop into, um, into that steadiness of mind. So continuity, make it a game, make your whole day a dance of mindfulness. And if brushing your teeth can be as sacred an act as sitting in the hall and feeling your breath or feeling sensations in your body, uh, then you know that every moment is counting. Rather than the breaks in between, it all becomes one dance. Okay. So, effort, faith leading to effort, to mindfulness, to concentration, and then flowering as wisdom. There's obviously a lot that can be said about wisdom, and I'm looking at the time, and uh, I'll just touch on a few things right now. Really, wisdom, one way to think of it, is seeing three characteristics of experience. One, everything is changing. Two, holding on to changing experience is a setup for suffering. And three, you are this changing experience. And there's nowhere in that mind-body form called you that is fixed and unchanging. And so life isn't happening so much to you, it's happening through you or as you. And you see the selfless nature of reality. If you think you're making your retreat happen, you can have input, but really it's so freeing to realize you don't have much control over what you're experiencing in any one moment. You can meet it with wisdom. You can find a way to explore and be interested or come back But if you had control over things, you'd probably say, okay, body, don't hurt. Okay, mind, don't get caught. Okay, heart, don't get lost in feelings. They just happen all on their own. What a relief to know that you don't have to blame yourself for what's happening or take credit for what's happening huge relief as uh, Wes Nisker has one of his book titles, You Are Not Your Fault. Yeah. Just laws of nature expressing itself 
through you, as you. And you don't have to identify with any of it. On one retreat, Joseph Goldstein gave me the, what I thought was the real subtle secret instruction where he said, uh, just see if you can notice any sense of self arising. Okay, and I thought, oh, that's very cool. Okay, just notice. No, no sense of self there. No, no selfing there, I thought. One time I, I was downstairs in the, the bowling alley, if you ever were in IMS, and doing walking meditation so meticulously, what I thought was so sweet, so delicious. And this kind of bull in a china shop yogi came walking through, clomping and writing notes about how wonderful his meditation was, I was sure. And there he was, clomping through, and the thought came to me, well, I certainly have a lot less sense of self than he does. (laughs) Whoops. Taking anything as yours to own, whether it's credit or blame, is a misunderstanding. And it's such a relief. It's such a relief to understand it's not up to you to make it happen. You're just here for the ride. Mm. From uh, Gendon Rinpoche. Whatever arises in the mind has no reality whatsoever. Don't become attached to it. Don't pass judgment. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back without changing anything. And all will vanish and reappear without end. So, these are the five spiritual faculties. Faith leading to the effort to be mindful, mindfulness deepening into a concentrated awareness, opening into liberating wisdom. I'll just end with this passage that I love from Shanti Deva, The Miracle of Awakening. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death, the treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. The tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life. A bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life. The cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated. The sun that dispels darkness. The butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. So let's just sit for a moment.
as a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. for your attention. Please enjoy your practice and we'll come back in about 20 minutes for one last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.